with John 19 in your Bibles. And before we look again at this main text, I want you to notice on the screen an intriguing detail given in the parallel text over in the Gospel of Matthew. It says in Matthew 27, verse 19, And when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife, Pilate's wife, sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. All right, so here's Pilate's wife. And of course, being a woman, she, has, she possesses a sixth sense, so to speak, an intuition. And also, being a woman, she has a dream that she blames her husband for. <laughs> you know, wife says in the morning, you know, I'm mad at you. Why? Because I had a dream that you and your golf buddies went to Ireland on a golf trip. And you never told me, well, honey, that never happened. I know, but I dreamed it, so you would probably do it or whatever. I don't know. In Pilate's case, his wife's dream and intuition were spot on. With most women, they are spot on. And of course, that means that Pilate's conscience is now extra sensitive. She called Jesus a just man, which also explains Pilate's dilemma in our text. Chapter 19, notice what it says at the end of verse 4. Behold, I bring him forth to you, Pilate said, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. And then the last line of verse 6, for I find no fault in him. Wow. In fact, back up to chapter 18 at the end, verse 38, the last part says, And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. If that's not enough, notice verse 7 of our text. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. It's interesting, there are a lot of cults who say that Jesus never claimed to be God or the Son of God, but all of his enemies knew, knew that he claimed to be the Son of God. Verse 8, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. He was afraid because of his wife, because they knew he was a just man, and now he's the more afraid. You see, the Romans believed that the gods oftentimes appeared on earth in human form. So what if, he's thinking, the last thing Pilate wants to do is kill a son of Zeus? So that you see, he has every reason to set Jesus free. And all of those reasons to set him free are magnified because of verse 10. Look at it. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me, knowest thou not, that I have power to crucify thee, and I have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. Wow. From that point on, from thenceforth, all Pilate really wanted to do was release Jesus from custody. And guess what? He had all of the power and all of the authority to do exactly that. Which begs the question, why didn't he? What stopped him? What stopped Pilate from doing what he wanted to do, what his wife wanted to do, and what he had the authority to do? Well, folks, it might surprise you that the Bible tells us what it was. The Bible tells us exactly what it was that sealed the deal. 
Notice verse 12, and we'll pray. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. If you let him go, you are not Caesar's friend. And then look at verse 13. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth. Wait a minute. When Pilate heard that saying, what saying? What words tipped the scale for Pilate? It says, when they cried out, thou art not Caesar's friend. In other words, if you let Jesus go, you're an enemy of the state. You're not a friend of Caesar. And this was the accusation. This was the situation that a man like Pilate could not withstand. And Satan knew that the fear of man brings a snare. For that reason alone, this text is a treasure trove of spiritual wisdom and warning. It's really a blessing, and I hope you'll take it to heart this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word and how we as your people in this room right now in this moment need this reminder, need these truths. And I pray you will speak to our hearts, convict our hearts, and help us because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice three things in the text this morning, all three of which are, especially, I think, especially helpful and applicable for these crazy times in which we are living. And the first lesson, the first thing I want you to notice, number one, is the slander. Go back to verse 12, would you? And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. Now, folks, I want to remind you that this lie, this false accusation and defamation still goes on in the world today. What did they say, Pastor? They said, if you side with Jesus, then you're not Caesar's friend. And by the way, the word Caesar here is a metonymy. It's a figure of speech in which the name of one thing which is related refers to something larger. You know what that is, right? When you say we're taking mom to the golden arches for Mother's Day, you don't mean the actual yellow M. You mean the entire McDonald's world because you're cheap or whatever. Some reporter says the White House released a statement. Well, it's not the white walls of a building. It means the entire administration released that statement. So, yes, Caesar. Caesar represents everything in Rome. Academia, art, science, wealth, religion, entertainment. So that you see, by claiming that siding with Jesus means you're an enemy of Caesar, it's sort of all-encompassing. You're against people. There's just one problem with that accusation. It wasn't true. It was a lie and a slander. And it still is. The unbelieving world looks at the most forgiving, the most kind, decent, generous people in all of society and says to the media and to Hollywood and anyone who will listen, these Christians are not a friend of Caesar because they don't believe in science. They don't believe in love or equality or art or education or progress. So that if you support Bible believers or Bible-believing churches, you're not a friend of Caesar. And of course, here's why this is such a huge slander. The exact opposite is true. 
When Jesus stood before Pilate, whatever lie the Sanhedrin was shouting out, the Lord Jesus was the best friend Caesar or Pilate or anyone else ever had on that earth. And Christ followers, believers, are not against love or equality or education. We promote true love and humility and truth and wisdom. What we are against, of course, is destruction and deceit and the devil, the father of lies. And in that sense, yeah, there is no friendship with the world. But in the sense of what is best and good and right and most helpful, Christ is the best friend this world has ever had. And the Lord's followers, His true followers, have always been the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Do not, do not allow the slanders of this world to affect your thinking on what is really true, what is really love, what is really love, and what is right, and what is good, and what is true, and what is wise. Which brings us to the second lesson. We said, number one, there's the slander. Number two, you'll notice there is the snare or the seduction. Go back to verse 12. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Verse 13, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat. Wow. Can I ask you what happened between verse 12 Pilate wants to release Christ. And verse 13, Pilate brings him down to the judgment. Why this sudden turnaround? Well, you know what happened. We just read it. It was that saying. That's what got to him. It was that accusation. If you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. In other words, it may have been a slander. It may have been a lie. But it was also the one thing that Pilate feared the most. Call me a murderer. Pilate doesn't care. Pilate's the one who murdered all those Galileans that are mentioned in Luke chapter 13. He didn't care. Call me a tyrant, a bully, an idolater. Call me superstitious. Indeed, Pilate actually died of suicide three years after this. Call me anything, Pilate would say, but don't call me an enemy of Caesar. Don't ever say that I'm not with the establishment, the authority. The experts, the universities, the mainstream majority religion and political power. Don't say that because when Pilate heard that saying, he did a 180. And you know, beloved, I think it presents to us a very powerful reminder of just how seductive and how beguiling it is to seek acceptance and approval and applause from whatever powers are that be. The whole notion of conforming and complying and groupthink and accreditation and sanctioning and recognition. It is such a devilish and powerfully intoxicating elixir. It is so powerful that Pilate is only one of millions of innumerable people who had position and wealth and talent and ability, but who in a moment turned their back on Jesus, turned their back on the truth, as have countless professing believers in that great moment of decision. I got a phone call from a church pulpit committee. And they began to ask me about a potential pastor for their church, and I really couldn't give them any, any answers, any help, because I didn't know this person that they were considering. 
So we were talking back and forth a little bit. They were seeking counsel. And at the end of our conversation, one of the men on this conference call said, well, we were just wondering because, because the guy that we're considering is a young man and he's kind of immature. And I said, oh. And they said, oh, oh, what? And I said, well, you have a large church. And you are aware that Paul warned against someone who's being a pastor who is a novice. The Greek word there is neophyte. Neophuo, it literally means newly planted. In other words, you can't be a new convert, so to speak, and pastor a church. Why? Because the Bible tells us why. New converts can potentially act like non-converts. And I told them that, and one of them said, oh, you mean you might get drunk or accidentally curse in the pulpit? I said, no, that's the deacons who do that. I'm just kidding. I said, no, 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 that's earlier in the list of requirements for pastors. It's much worse than that. And then I read to them, which they knew it already, the entire verse. A bishop, a pastor, must not be a novice, lest, being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. The devil. You see, beloved, people with maturity, and especially a spiritual maturity, they don't care about trophies or medals or the mayor giving them the key to the city. Newbies want that stuff. Lift it up with pride. They want the approval. The younger you are, the more immature you are, you want people to pat you on the back and say, yeah, you're a great, great uh, team player. The devil knows this. The devil knows that an ambitious heart That a person who yearns for the worldly applause is easy prey is a coward or a compromiser. And so God tells us to pray for wisdom in James 1. Ask, he says, without wavering for wisdom beyond your years. Why? So that we're not newbies who fall prey for the approval, the applause of the world and of men. The truth is, beloved, as Christians, we really only have an audience of one. Our lives, our testimonies, are to seek the approval of one person. And you know where that one person is because Jesus knew. Look at verse 11. Jesus answered, Pilate, thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee, given thee from above. There it is, from above. And man, if we could just see and remember and never forget That who we are and what we are and why we are is all from above. Our authority is above. Our approval is above. Our validation, our very purpose is all above. If we can just remember that, we too could look the same entire empire of our day straight in the eye and never even flinch with either their threats or their trinkets or their approval. And let me just say, you young people in particular, you should probably know, and if you don't already, that social platforms in so many ways are the new pilot's crowd. And with the very same issues, they will try to intimidate and marginalize and embarrass you for not getting with the program, whatever the world's program is. You know, I remember during the COVID protocols going to the Gardens Mall. And of course, masking was still required in the county, so I had a mask and everybody in the mall had masks. 
were allowed to enter a store. Everybody else had to huddle together in the, in the hallway of the mall. It made a lot of sense to me. And of course, on television, you know, there's writing going on with no restrictions at all. And restaurants and gyms were closed, but marijuana dispensaries were open. But don't get me started, that's just another issue. But I'm walking in the mall, and like I almost always do, everywhere I go, to the annoyance of a lot of people, I'm whistling. Whistling, I have a mask on. And I pass a couple people, and they're doing this to me. I'm like, what? I got a mask on. And finally, one of them said, you're blowing out air. I'm pushing out air by my whistling. Clearly, they thought I needed to go to a re-education camp or something. I don't know. I wasn't annoyed by that. I wasn't put off by it. I just kind of like, I was reminded of how quickly and easily the land of the free, the birthplace of liberty, doesn't really embrace it. You know, when Ben and I drove back from Tennessee last Tuesday, I was telling the Wednesday night crowd we stopped at Bucky's. My first experience with Bucky's. Can we take a moment of silence and how awesome that was? <laughs> I was blown away, okay? But when you walk in, I noticed that they sell shirts, Bucky's shirts, and there's a patriotic shirt for sale. It says, Sorry, I can't hear you over the sound of freedom ringing. And Bucky's on a motorcycle and big American flag. I guess it's Bucky the rat. He's, I guess his name's Bucky. I don't know. I saw that shirt and I thought, I didn't see those for sale three years ago. It wasn't like a popular thing. The land of the free was no longer the home of the brave. Give me compliance or I'll give you death. Now, folks, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about policy. I'm not talking about programs. I'm just pointing out how quickly a dot on the floor six feet apart turned people into finger-wagging. The bigger picture, the much larger issue is that being Caesar's friend is an ancient, powerful force for evil. Soon they'll be wagging their fingers saying, no, you can't carry a Bible in public. We definitely don't want it in our schools. I saw a video just a few days ago, and I shared it with the Coulters, of a representative, a state representative, who's under arrest because she's going through these waiting areas and she's taking all of the free Bibles that were put there and she's looking around, she got caught on camera doing it, and she's hiding them under cushions, behind the fridge. And you know what? All of her colleagues and her friends, the ones in that mindset, they're like this, yeah. Because she's with the program. It's not social distancing today. Today, it's social embracing so that if you don't love drag shows in elementary schools or evolution or abortion or injustice, you're not Caesar's friend. Thou art not a friend of Caesar. If you just let Jesus go, they said, you're not the government's friend. And you realize that came from the same people that Caesar had just subjugated. They were occupiers. I'm just saying, beloved, as Christians in this room, there comes a point where sometimes you have to choose between Caesar, meaning art, education, 
academia, Hollywood. You have to choose between Caesar and loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that often yet. And I'll say again, it's not over taxes or rules of the road or masks. That's not what I'm talking about. But it is over truth and worship and devotion and faith. Which leads us to the third and final thing this morning. We said, number one, we see the slander. Number two, we see the snare or the seduction. But then number three, I want you to notice the salvation. Verse 5, then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Remember the soldiers did that in mockery. They put the thorns on his head and the Bible says they beat his head with a reed. So they're beating that crown of thorns into his head. He's bleeding. He's received the cat of nine tails, the scourging. They took a, a purple robe and put it on him in mockery. Oh yeah, he's a king. Let's give him a purple robe. Verse 5, then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, the crowd, behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him. Crucify him. In other words, note this, in the midst of all of the politics, in the midst of all the power struggles and the mob justice, in the dark shadows and the dark moments of satanic deception and decision, right there in the middle, behold, the man is the Savior of the world. Bleeding, beaten, willingly going to that cross. Remember the word above Jesus used in verse 11 to Pilate? Do you know that's the, very, that's the exact same word Jesus used at the beginning of this same gospel when he was talking to Nicodemus? The Greek word is anothen. It means from above. And in Nicodemus he said, you must be born again. Again is the same word. You must be born from above. I was born down here in Norfolk, Virginia in 1958. I was born up there when I was 12 years of age when I accepted Jesus. You must be born again, born from above. If you want to talk about real authority, notice what else Jesus said in verse 11. Jesus all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Now, wait a minute. Follow this. Sin is an offense against God. It's an offense against the Creator so that the Lord Jesus in His answer to Pilate, you don't need to say that, He just declared that He Himself could determine who has sinned and what sins are lesser or greater and thus which would receive the greater judgment. So that Jesus identified Himself in that moment as Pilate's judge. Jesus wasn't standing before Pilate. Pilate was standing before Jesus. This is why Pilate is afraid, and the Lord Jesus was not. Shortly after this scene, Pilate takes a basin of water. You know the scene. He goes inside, he gets a basin of water, he asks for it to be brought to him, and the Bible says that he takes his hand and he washes his hands in the water and he holds it up before the crowd and he says, I'm innocent. I'm innocent of the blood of this just man. Clean? Innocent? Nope. And he knew it. 
the guilt and the burden that he had because he was lost and a sinner didn't go away because of, of a water font. It won't go away because you were baptized. That guilt and that burden will stay with you. I reminded when Reader's Digest asked people to send in stories of their best-kept secrets that no one knew about. One of the submissions was from a woman who said that when she was expecting a baby and she was really big, close to delivering, she made her husband his favorite chocolate pie for his birthday to surprise him. But unfortunately, while he was at work, cravings kicked in and she took a bite of it. And then another bite. And then another bite. Until half of it was gone. She didn't know what to do. She's full of guilt. So she made a whole other pie for him. I mean, what she else? But now she has his half a pie. The evidence. So you know what she did? She ate it. She said she ate the entire chocolate pie. Husband came home, had his chocolate pie, and for weeks she said her husband would say, I am so impressed. That's amazing. You didn't even take a single bite. Well, you know, self-control. It's a combination of self-control and love. But what interested me was at the end of her little article there, she said, I'm just glad Reader's Digest asked for this because I can finally admit it all. I'm tired of bearing the load of this secret. Now look, a whole chocolate pie, that's not shameful. In fact, for me, it's admirable, amen? <laughs> but there is the burden of sin. That is the burden of guilt that you cannot bear. No amount of, amount of hand washing could ever wash away Pilate's guilt. But Jesus could. The very blood that he saw coursing down his brow and soon would lose when he was on that cross, that blood could wash away all his sin and thus all the guilt and the burden of it. And he can do and will do the exact same thing for you on this beautiful Lord's Day morning. The very next chapter of this gospel is the resurrection. The Lord Jesus, who knew, who looked Pilate in the eye, and he said, you have no power over me except it were given you from above. He knew he would die. He gave himself for our sins. But then he was raised, the Bible says in Romans, for our justification. He has the power to justify those who he forgives. I don't know if you've been coming to church your whole life or this is the first time you've wandered in. It doesn't really matter if you've not accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. You will die with that burden, and then you will face judgment that you rejected Christ in the same way that Pilate did. For believers in this room, behold the man. Behold the Lord Jesus, bleeding, willingly going to bear all of your sins in shame and in pain and in agony. Behold the man and recognize that man is worthy. The Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory, is worthy for you to say no to Caesar when Caesar wants you to make a choice. When Caesar, the government, ours, whatever education says, you need to choose between the Bible or evolution, choose Jesus because it's the truth. Whatever God is speaking to your heart about this morning, obey his voice, won't you? 
Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed with no one moving. I wonder who'd say, Pastor Blaylock, I'm here today, and, and I happen to be saved by the grace of God. I've accepted Christ as my Savior, and I know He's forgiven my sins. I know He died for me. I'm not trusting in church or sacraments or good works. I'm trusting in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. But this morning, Pastor, I needed this reminder. I'm going to say this again. There comes a point to where our life of faith, to where our everyday living is either a choice of choosing Caesar or loyalty to Jesus. It doesn't happen often. But as parents in this room, we just had a dedication. It will happen more and more often with you and those children, I promise you. You're not Caesar's friend. Be the friend of Christ. For those in this room who are not sure that you're saved, accept him now. If you're a believer here, you say, Pastor, I'm saved, but I needed this message. I'm, I'm a born-again believer, but I needed this reminder today. Who would say that? Would you lift your hands through the room as I do mine? And God bless you, all of you who are saved. Amen. Be loyal to his word. Be loyal to his truth. Be loyal to his person. And don't believe the slanders of the world. Christians are always and have always been the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Light exposes. That's just what it does. Salt sometimes burns. That's just what it does. But it's what the world needs. If you're here today and you're not sure about your salvation, could we pray for you? I won't embarrass you. I won't come to you, but I'd love to pray for you. I'm not sure, Pastor, if I'm truly a child of God, if I've been saved, born again. Would you pray for me with heads bowed, eyes closed? Who would say that? We just lift your hand up right where you are. I'm not sure that I'm saved. God bless you. Amen. Anyone else? Raise it up high enough. All right. We're going to have, as always, a time of invitation. Brother Kevin will come lead us in a hymn. And I'll be here at the front. If you need to speak with someone, I'll speak with you. Or just kneel at the altar, whatever God is speaking to you about. Obey his voice. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, every time we open up this book, we see truth and light and glory and blessing and fruit. And we recognize as your people that your commandments are not grievous at all. Thank you for this book. I thank you, Lord, that you've kept us and placed us in this world to continue being truth and light and blessing and salt of the world. Take the gospel to those who are lost. And when it comes, Lord, where we must choose, we must choose to somehow disown you or be Caesar's friend, be Caesar's friend, that we will always, always have the wisdom and the grace to make the right choice. Bless these decisions today to that end. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.